Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in Matthew chapter 5, focusing on just one verse again. Verse 14. We spent several weeks diving into the Beatitudes, and we finished looking at those in the preceding verses. Here, Jesus makes a shift in the Sermon on the Mount to speak of the influence of God's people in the world. And he starts with the metaphor of salt. Why did Jesus use salt as a metaphor for the influence of his people in the world? What do we know about salt? Well, it's used to improve the flavor of food, but it's also used as a preservative. Which one is in view, and how does that help us understand our role in the world as believers? Well, Pastor Jim will help us understand Jesus' meaning as well as the warning embedded in it. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, The Salt of the Earth. As with most metaphors and most of the word pictures that you'll find in Scripture, if you read long enough, you can find all sorts of wild interpretations of what Jesus meant by salt. But doing a little homework is what we have to do to figure out, just like in every passage of the Bible, what did Jesus have in mind when he said the word salt? Isn't necessarily what you and I thought of. And understand, there's a principle of hermeneutics, a very crucial principle of hermeneutics, which is the art and science of Bible interpretation. The meaning of any passage is what the original writer intended for the original readers to understand by what he wrote. Or if you're recording a spoken word, uh, if it's what the original speaker expected the, intentional, the original hearers to understand by what they meant. Now, if I say to you the word salt, you have a pretty good idea. We think of salt primarily as a seasoning. We keep it conveniently in a salt shaker on the table wherever we eat. Uh, if you go out to eat now, you have to order a side order of salt because you're not allowed to get your cooties on the salt shaker for somebody else. But that's a whole new uh, wrinkle there. Jesus didn't have that problem. We also think of salt as a melting agent for snow and ice in the winter. That can be very convenient for us. And the people in first century Palestine probably weren't worried about traction on their snow tires in January. Um, I think we can discount that one. We also take advantage of salt's ability to lower the freezing point of water. That's the same reason that we use it to melt ice. But uh, we can also, by doing that, freeze ice cream more efficiently. That's one of the best things about salt in the whole wide world is homemade ice cream. Um, we also use salt um, in um, some forms of purification, especially to soften it. I, I bought a big old heavy pound, a heavy 40-pound bag of salt, actually two of them, and dumped them into my water softener this week. And how perfect, the week I'm studying salt, and it has nothing to do with that. Salt was used 
as a seasoning in some cases in biblical times. I mean, he mentions if it becomes tasteless, there was a taste, they understood, that was imparted by salt. But that was a relatively minor use of salt in that culture. None of those other uses that I mentioned were of any importance to Jesus' audience. But one use was very important to them, and it's probably something you've either never done or haven't done for a, a very long time. Salt was highly valued because of its ability to preserve as an antiseptic that prevents and retards decay. Salt was used every day, especially in the preservation of meat. Imagine how valuable salt would be to you if you didn't have a refrigerator or a freezer in which to store your meat. Now, for salt to have its intended work in that way, it has to be sprinkled over or, better yet, rubbed into the meat. And its function was not readily visible. It was used primarily to combat deterioration. Now, I think you can see the physical use of that illustration. Just being Christians in the world, acting out our faith, and speaking the truth of God, that serves to combat and retard spiritual decay. Now, some people around don't like being salted in that sense. Some of them will persecute you. But isn't it true that when a known believer is in a crowd, things are different? Um, You know, I love playing golf, and I can't tell you how many times I've had the experience of playing with someone that I that I don't know. Usually things are pretty normal for a hole or two or three. And then, you know, small talk while you're waiting on the tee. And um, uh, what, do you, what do you do? Where do you work? And oh, I'm the pastor at Heritage Bible Church. And I always know what's coming next. It's happened to me so many times I, I couldn't count them if I wanted to. I almost always hear, I have to watch my language around you. Now, they almost never do. But that's what they say. And I always come back with, I've got the smart aleck comment to soften them up for the serious comment. The smart aleck one is, if you say something I've never heard, I may write it down. Uh, On the other, because I've heard them all. No, I heard one new one in the last three years. Um, I don't want everyone to hear it again. Uh, The next thing I say is, well, you know, um, I appreciate you caring, but it's not me that will be the judge of what comes out of your mouth. And then we see how it goes. Usually it's pretty quiet for two or three holes until they can think of something else to, something else to, to come up with. But when, when Christians are around, sometimes the slur that might have been stated doesn't get said. Profanity might be tempered a little bit or even left unspoken. Sometimes a, a, a wicked, vengeful kind of a plan might be dropped because they realize it would be offensive to somebody. God knows, and He wants us to understand that the world is wicked, but He also knows how far more corrupt it would be without the the restraining example 
and lives and prayers of the saints. Now, it is our collective influence that he's, influ- that he's talking about here. You is plural and R is present tense. It's all of you together in your, in your influence. But it's also individual. And sometimes that individual effect is tremendous. How much better was Egypt because of Joseph? Quite a bit. How much worse might Babylon have been without Daniel? We'll never know. You think Esther made a difference in her generation? She sure did. Now, the New Testament tells us that a major factor delaying the rise of the one that we called Antichrist is the restraining impact of people who are known as Christ ones, Christians. Um, Scott Freeman, preaching through 1 John as he gets opportunities to preach, has already gotten past the passage in 1 John that talks about uh, the, saying that there are, uh, there's the spirit of Antichrist in the world, the spirit that hates Christ and would substitute anything else for him. And then it says there are many Antichrists, meaning individuals who are particularly anti-Christian, but there's also the one whom we will call or the world will call the Antichrist. Well, the world won't call him that, but we will refer to him that way as he is in Scripture. And, and there's something holding back the rise of that one. Well, we know what that is. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. The word salt is not here. But the concept of a restraining influence, a purifying influence, a corruption-preventing influence is very clear. Now, in Thessalonica, there had been a, a question in the church there about the, the day of the Lord. Has the day of the Lord come? And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, it hasn't. There's quite a strong connection between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4 ends with the description of the catching away of the church, the, the rapture of the church, and then he talks about the day of the Lord. And then this was a, a follow-up question about the, the day of the Lord. And Paul says, no, it's not here yet. And here's what he says, 2 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come it referring to the day of the Lord, unless the apostasy comes first. Apostasy is falling away, a, a rejection of the faith, taking, taking away that, that influence. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, that's the Antichrist, and that's the ultimate blasphemy that he's going to commit, putting himself in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and saying, worship me. I'm, I'm the one. Then he goes on to say, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, referring back to when he planted the church in Thessalonica. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time, He will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken 
out of the way. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.